We have um, been talking about focusing on the Christ, and today is the 50th message of this series. I don't know about you, but that kind of feels like a memorial stone for me, you know? You kind of feel like it's been forever, and almost been there. No, good, thanks, Rodney. And, uh, but the 50th message, and we've been looking at focusing on the Christ, and as we've considered this for the, um, over the last year, we've looked at the shadow of Christ, of Christ in the Old Testament, and then moved in, transitioned into the life of Christ. At the end of the year, we looked at the return of Christ and then looked at a small segment of the reign of Christ as we transitioned into this new year. And then from that, we were looking at the spiritual reign of Christ as it is today, not just the physical reign of the future, but how Christ is reigning in hearts today. And we transitioned then, talking about that, into the reflection of Christ, stating that when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it will be reflected in, in your life. What we say, how we live, is a reflection of who or what is in our heart. And so the first thing we looked at when we were discussing this was that our words, because we saw that, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But then we began looking, secondly, at our finances. And this is the fifth of the sub-messages of the sub-series of the sub-series of the sub-series, anyways, um, but dealing with finances here. And we saw in Matthew chapter 6 that we are told to lay up for ourselves treasures in, or in heaven, not on earth, because where our treasure is, there our heart would be also. And again then, where our heart is, is the reflection of who is reigning in, in our lives. And so we began looking at this um, with these principles of finances. And first of all, there was the principle of lordship, asking the question, who is the Lord of your life? Who is, who is reigning in your heart? And because we see at the end of that passage that no one can serve two masters, you can't serve God in mammon. And again, the word mammon in the Greek, is the word which means the things that money buys. We would bring it into English as materialism. You can't serve God and materialism. And so you have to decide who's the Lord of your life. Secondly, then in that, the principle of ownership, and that is that God owns everything. God owns everything. You may think you own your house. You may think you own your car. You may think you own all these things. But the reality is that God owns it. God owns it all. And... uh God owns everything. And then thirdly, the principle of discipleship, and that is, you are a disciple of somebody. Somebody has been influencing your life. The, the principles that you apply financially to your life probably derive from someplace. You didn't come up with them on your own. You were influenced by whether it was your mom or your dad, whether it was by Larry Burkett, whether it was Dave Ramsey, whether it was somebody of the world, um, maybe the newspaper, maybe it was, uh, or is it Art Blank, the, the, the guy who owns Home Depot? Anyways, whoever, you know, stuff you read, Zig Ziglar or whatever those things, you know, you're being influenced by somebody in those things. Well, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then the reality is you should be being influenced by who? Jesus Christ. And the question is, how much time are you spending in his word and in his teachings compared to the teachings of all these men? Now, understand, some of the men may be seeking to derive their truth from God's word, but there's a difference between being discipled by Bob Corbin and being discipled by the Holy Spirit. I may desire to, to disciple you in truth, but I still not am not the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And there's many times when I'm seeking to lead my wife that I need to remember that I'm not her Holy Spirit. Okay? And Jesus said it was important for us, his disciples, for him to die and to go away. Because when he went away, he would send us a what? A helper. The comforter who would lead us into all truth. 
And so I believe that. I believe that the Holy Spirit can be my discipler. And I believe there's no difference between me and you. I'm just a voice box in the body of Christ. That's all I am. I'm an under-shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And there's no difference between me and you. We each, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we each have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into truth, just like he did David, uh, Larry Burkett. Does that make sense? Okay. And so the question is, are you trusting in Jesus Christ to lead you in his word? Well, in order to do that, that means you need to be in his word. You need to be taking time daily to be spending in his words, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it, applying it to your life. And if you're not doing it, chiefly you men who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of your home, then you're failing in that. And you're really being not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're being a disciple of somebody else. And so I want to challenge you in that as well. Well, then we moved on to this fourth principle, and it's a principle of stewardship. And we saw when we considered the administration of it, of the financial resources, that it's required in stewards that they be found faithful. And the Greek word is the word pistos, which means to be worthy of trust. Trustworthy. Well, trustworthy means that you're worthy of a trust. That someone can place their trust in you, and you will accomplish the task of which they've placed their trust in you to accomplish. And so the question for us is that we come into this, and we come into then the appropriation, not just the acquisition. We looked at the acquisition, getting the money, but spending the money. Are you, am I, a faithful steward of the financial resources which God has placed into my, into my lap? Now, as we began looking at this a few weeks ago, we saw that the very first priority in everything of my life should be God. And so it is with the appropriation of finances, the spending of my finances. How do I budget it? How do I spend it? Well, God is first and foremost. And God revealed in his word, even before the law, so you can't say that, well, that went out with the law, you know, that that we're under grace. Well, this is before the law that God instituted the tithe. That's not part of the Mosaic law. That's before the Mosaic law. And Jesus himself told the Pharisees that they ought to continue to do that. Tithing is the first tenth. In fact, he said in the book of, through the prophet Malachi that the Israelites were cheating and stealing from him because they were not giving him the tithe. They weren't giving him what belonged to him. It was his. And he said because of that, that there were devourers in the field, but that they would bring into the storehouses that which belonged to him. He would rebuke the devourer. Okay, And we talked about you know hot water heaters going bad, cars needing repair, so on and so forth. God can take what belongs to him in many different ways. And we always look at those things as what? Coincidence. Coincidence. There is no coincidence. God is sovereign over all the affairs of men. And, and he will work in his children in a way to get their attention. Okay, But he didn't stop there. He also talked in that first fruit concept. That's from all the way from Genesis chapter 4. Okay, the first fruits that God wants the first part. So even with that tithe, He wants the first 10%. He doesn't want the leftovers. Because you know what happens when you go to give Him the leftovers? It's never there. So God wants that first tenth immediately. Okay? And then there's the offerings. We saw the free will offerings that were offered unto Him and how the, the Israelites had to be told to stop giving. They had to be restrained from giving because they were giving too much. Okay? And so God says first fruits, tithes, and Offerings, And in fact, he says in the New Testament that he loves the cheerful giver, not one who's giving begrudgingly. If you're writing a check out, to whether it's to the church or whether it's to a mission agency or whatever it is, you're giving it to the Lord. And if you're begrudging it when you're like, I've got to write this check, then don't give it. Because it's not an act of worship. God wants you 
And he told that to the Corinthians, that the people of Achaia and Macedonia gave, and they gave liberally out of their poverty, because they first gave of themselves. And so if you have given yourselves wholeheartedly over to God, if you've written to him a blank check of your life, then you know what? The money of your life is meaningless. Okay? And so God loves a cheerful giver. Last week, we looked at number two, and that is, I, remember I said, I said, you're going to hate me on this one, it's the government. Taxation. Taxation is a biblical principle. It's, it's not anti-biblical. Okay? And I know that as Americans, we don't want to be taxed, but that's a God thing. In fact, we saw how Daniel was the first one to bring in taxation. He brought in the 20%. And then we saw in Israel how there was the 10% tithe, but then there was a 10% that was going to go to the temple as, or to the, to the government as well. So, what did I say? Daniel. Joseph. Thank you. Joseph was the one who brought in that, the, uh, the taxation, okay, in the book of Genesis with Egypt. And then we saw that Israel, how that came about as well. And then we saw in Romans 13 how that there is no authority that's been appointed, no governing authority except that which has been appointed by, by God. And we talked about how that was Nero in that day. And Nero was the one who was known for taking Christians, putting them on a stake, putting the pitch all over them, and lighting them on fire as streetlights. Okay? And so, so we're told in God's word that we're supposed to honor those who are in authority. And one of the ways that we do that is that we, we submit to the ordinances of man because we understand that those are from God. And verse 7 says, Therefore we render to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due. The point is that it is not a wrong thing for the government to charge us taxes. Now, I'm not saying here that I believe that our tax code, you know, this is not a political message. You know, I, I think our tax code is awesome, and, and I'm not, or I'm not standing here saying, I think we got to do the flat tax, or I think we got to do the, you know, the global sales tax. That's for the politicians to debate, and that's for us as, as citizens to vote upon, and vote people out, and vote people in, and all that kind of stuff. What I'm here to say is, if you're opposed to taxation, period, you're unbiblical. Okay? And so, you are to give to God, or what is God's, and you're to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But note the priority in this. God's first. And so I ended last week in this section reminding you that God doesn't want tithed on the net. God gets tithed on the gross. Before you give the government their cut, you give God his cut. Now that takes a little bit of work, okay? And again, I shared from Bob's perspective that Bob got a little tangled up in that, and and I said, I just, Lord, I just want to give. I just, I, 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 and I want to give beyond the tithe. That's okay. Just help me out. Give me a number, you know. And so God just gave me a number, and so that's what I give, regardless of whether I make anywhere close to that or not. If I make more than that, then I'll give more than that. But sometimes it's double what I bring in, but that's okay. That's the, the amount that God put in my heart to give. Then that's what He wants me to give, and I'm good with that, okay? And so you have to do that. In your own life. These are principles that you have to apply to your life. I don't want you to be a Bobite, you know, and a Bobonian or whatever you want to put that, okay? You know, you, you, I want you to be a Christian, a little Christ. I want you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so pray. If you're not, if you're not ardently in focus on that one and, and, and look into God what he wants you to do with finances, I really honestly feel that you're in sin, okay? And I'm not going to hide back from that one, okay? Because, you know, I don't preach on finances a whole lot. This is the time I get to preach on it. And so I'm just going to be straight with you, okay? That is the, one of the two first foremost areas that Jesus Christ says is going to be a, a reflector of whether he's the Lord of your life or not, okay? And so if you're not willing to have him be a Lord there, you got struggles. Well, number three is your family. 
And we saw Paul telling Timothy that if someone will not provide for those of his own family, he's worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. Okay? And so that we are responsible for providing for the needs of our home, of our family. Okay? Now, what we're going to get into today and spend some time on today is kind of interrelated. We, we kind of interrelate these together a lot. Okay? And, and we're going to talk about debt. But there is, in my mind, a, a slight separation between family and, and debt, okay? Um, because sometimes we get in debt for things that aren't needs. My family needs to eat, but my family doesn't need to eat steak every day. Does that make sense? Okay? My, my family may need a vehicle to go, to go places, but depending on where we mean to go, we may not even need an automobile vehicle. It may be a bicycle or a bunch of bicycles, as it were. Okay, or even if we need an automobile or a, a vehicle vehicle that way, it, it doesn't have to be the Cadillac. Does that make sense? There are needs that God has for me. While there are other debts that come into my life. Okay, just to today, um, when we came in this morning, we, we we flipped that plastic switch over there, right by the door. That's the what? The light switch. Do you know what we did when we flipped that light switch? We became a debtor. Okay? We became indebted to the electric company. Okay? Because at the end of the month, we're going to get a bill. And they're going to say, now you have to pay us for turning on that light switch. Because that electricity wasn't free. I have to, each, as its kids get older and older, you know, then each one of them have their turn of understanding that hot showers aren't free. Hot showers cost double. I gotta pay both the gas company and I gotta pay the water company. I don't have my well. I, you know, you know, if you got a well that you're good, you know. But I gotta pay two different people for you to take the hot shower. And when you run the hot water tank out, I'm paying an awful lot for you to have that pleasure. When you get a job and you want to start helping me out, you can run the tank out. It's okay. If I want to run the tank out, it's okay. Do you know why? I'm paying the bills. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. When you want to start paying that bill, you start taking that long shower. It's okay. But debt. What does the Bible talk about debt? Now, very clearly, this is the only subpoint we're talking about today. So guess what? We're going to talk about it an awful lot. There's two sides of debt. Yes? Just like there's, there's the basically two sides of finances. There's the what? There's the getting money and the... Spending of money. Well, on debt, it's kind of the, the opposite way, isn't it? There's the what? Going into debt. <laughs> you know, debt's not one of those things that you go out of debt first. You go into debt. So let's read about, let's see what the Bible teaches about debt. Well, first of all, in Proverbs 22.7, it's on the top of your bulletin as well, we read that the borrower is servant to the lender. So what's the principle we get out of it? It's already up there. The borrower servant to the lender. It's pretty simple, right? The minute, the minute you take out a loan, okay, and again, flipping that light switch, was me taking out a what? A loan. Who's loaning me things right now? Georgia Power. They're loaning me money, quote unquote, if you would. And I'm supposed to what? Pay them back, okay? Now, not me, but us. See, we're corporately in this one together. At home, my, my furnace is still kicked on. And so if it gets cold enough, my furnace is going to be running. And so I'm going to be paying both Georgia uh, 
natural gas and Georgia Power at the same time, because Georgia, you know, Georgia Power has got to have the electricity to kick the furnace on, and then the gas has got to run the rest of it, right? So I've got to pay two people to, to keep my house warm while I'm gone. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But anyways, but I put my name to that, okay? And so, but the minute that happened, think about it, I became shackled to Georgia Power. Georgia Power, in some slight little way, owns me. Do you get it? What happens if we decide, corporate body here, we decide we don't want to pay Georgia Power? <laughs> You're going to be cut off. That's exactly right. Now, we're meeting in the dark here so we can see this, and this is really kind of nice. We don't mind meeting in the dark, but the problem is we're going to be meeting in the dark without what? Without the screen going on, because that also controls the... The projector. So we're going to just be sitting in the dark, and we're going to be pretending we're in China, you know, and um, and singing silently. So anyways, the the rich rules over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. What's the principle as a whole? Try to stay out of what? Debt. All things are lawful unto me, Paul said, but I will not be brought under the, anybody know? Mastery of any. Now, I understand that's talking about things that I can become addicted to, but the same concept is there. I want to be enslaved, if you would, only to who? Jesus Christ. Okay? And the more I entangle myself in the things of the world, the more I entangle myself apart from Jesus Christ. Proverbs 11, verse 15 says, He who is surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. 17 verse 18 says, A man devoid of understanding shakes his hand in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. And then Proverbs 22 verses 26 to 27 says, Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from underneath you? Does anybody know what the word surety means? It's a cosigner. Boil it down, it's a cosigner. Okay? It's one who is making sure the debt of somebody else. What that means is that if that person, that friend of yours, that you said, yeah, I'll co-sign the loan for, decides that he doesn't want to pay or she doesn't want to pay, that they're going to what? They're going to come after you. They're going to want you to pay the payment. Okay, one of the things that I've told the kids, and I've, I've gone back on it once or twice, okay, is that I'm not going to co-sign your loans. Okay? Now, I've had to go back on it with, as, as for some of the student loans, okay, because they can't do it with, apart from me. But as a whole, they know that they've got to do whatever it takes to get their own loans because dad's not going to become the cash cow. And if they're going to get on with life, they're going to get on with, with life. And, and they're going to have credit on their own. Okay? Why? Because I'm mean? No. Because God's word says that you're a man devoid of understanding if you become surety for your friend. That's just a fact, okay? It's not that I don't trust my child. It's not that I don't trust you. But I am opening myself, my, opening myself up for greater ex- financial exposure, okay? This is just a biblical principle. Because I don't know what's going to happen in your life. Does that make sense? You may undergo a financial hardship in which you cannot pay the debt which you thought and I thought that was a no-brainer you could handle. But now all of a sudden you can't handle it and so guess who's going to have to pay it? Me. And do you know what starts happening in our relationship when I start paying your debt? It starts to become very strained, doesn't it? 
Okay? And so, if you have a need, then I need to sell whatever I have in order to help meet your need. Do you understand? I mean, I've got to do whatever it takes to meet your need. But if it ain't a need, it's agreed. And you don't need it. And then, therefore, I don't need to what? Help you out with it. Does it make sense? Okay? And so, principle, think twice before co-signing. Okay? Maybe three times, four times. You know? See if there's any other way around it. Okay? And chiefly, for, for Bob, I honestly will not co-sign for anybody outside of my kids and for that them to go to college or for whatever is the basic getting themselves going after college. Okay? Just, I just won't. You know? Um, you can buy cheap cars. You don't have to have a nice one, you know? And so just make it as a principle. And it's out there. My kids know it. It's not a big deal. I'm not being rude to them. You know, it wasn't like I'm going to do it for one, but I'm not going to do the other ones. This is Bob's uh, dad's principle. So Matt, Matt's going to have to be taking out loans, and I'll probably have to co-sign one for him. But he's exhausting every other source he has right now to find loans that he can do on his own, that he can have his own name on those things and not have to have dad be the co-signer on it, Okay. Turn with me to, to Luke 14. This was our Bible reading this morning. So we can see our, our third principle here about going into debt. Jesus said, Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to what? Finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. What's the point? Count the what? Count the cost. Do the math. Do your, do your math. Okay. Make sure that if you take out a loan, that if you put yourself into debt, that you're going to be able to what? Pay it back. That's exactly right. It's easy for us to have the I want us. You know? And then once we have the I want us, what do we begin to do? Say again? I want it more. Or not just I want more, but, but once I want it, I then begin to research how am I going to get it. But what I usually don't spend a lot of time on researching is what? How am I going to pay for it? <laughs> that, that doesn't matter. It's just going to happen. And, and look at, this is all part of budgeting, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some, some statements here. And, you know, I, I step on toes, maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. But this is just straight up, okay? What I think is biblical. Men, you are the spiritual leaders of your home. Budgeting ought to be coming on your salary and your salary only. And if you're budgeting on overtime, then you're, then you're budgeting on exposure. Because in rough times, do you know what's gonna be the first thing that goes? Your overtime, okay? And if you can live on your budget and your budget alone, then next week we're going to talk about the final point here, and that's surplus. Then all the other money that comes in is what? Surplus, okay? If you can live off of what you make, then everything else that comes in is the bonus money that God has given you as a steward to use for his kingdom's glory. But if you're budgeting every penny you have on a debt, if you're buying cars, you're buying houses, you're buying... Boats, you're buying whatever, you know, the American dream here, okay? And you're just putting it all on debt. 
that first point. Guess how many slave owners you got? Every single one of them. Do you? I mean, have you considered the percentage, the um, statistics on how many Americans are going through bankruptcy? Yeah. How many companies? Think, I'm not going to pick on Food Lion here, but I'm going to pick on Food Lion. Think about Food Lion. Okay, Food Lion used to have, you know where the Omni is, right? Over in Evans. Okay, do you know that used to be a Food Lion? Huge grocery store. And, and they went out in, in Augusta. You know, they, they went out all these different places and over there by Kmart. You know, where I think that's a, a, a gym thing too. Okay, and so they had all these Food Lions and, and mismanagement. They went, they, they had to go defunct in, in Augusta, right? And then all of a sudden they decided that they were going to come into Augusta with a, with a big bang, right? And they built them all over the place. How about that brand new one over by the Home Depot? What's it now? It's an empty building. Okay, these are principles that that apply to us individually, but we understand that are not being even seen in the corporate realm. This week, and again, this is not a political message, this week, did you read the news? That President Obama put out his what? His budget. His budget. In his budget has a six-point-whatever trillion deficit. Do you know what that means? That he's planning on spending money that we don't have. Now, we can look at President Obama, and we can look at Food Lion, and we can swag our finger, and we can say, Oh, I cannot believe that they're doing that. Look, that company went belly up. And look, our country is getting ready to go belly up. But if I'm doing the same thing individually in my own budget, who am I to judge? Judge not lest you be judged. And with what judgment you judge others, judge others, it shall be measured unto you, pressed down in full and overflowing. You want to condemn the government, the Congress, the Senate, whatever, for their mishandling of your, of our finances, then be careful, because God is going to judge you by the same ruler, by the same yardstick, on how you're dealing with the finances of your home. Men, if you do not have a budget in your home, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you don't know how you're paying the bills, you're in sin. You are not an effective steward of the financial resources that God has given you. And I'm saying men. You may have the wife helping you in, in writing checks and that kind of stuff. I understand that, okay? That's like a corporation having the CEO and the CFO, okay? You know, according to the government's things, I'm the CEO of this corporation, okay? I hate that stuff, but that's a fact. And Steve's the what? He's the CFO. He's the treasurer. I don't deal with the finances, okay? I, I want to know about them. They're out, are they out now, Steve, for the budget announcement at the end, okay? So we're going to have that out, okay? And so we... We want to have accountability, and so I want to be a part of that, but I don't have to do it. So you may use your wife in some of those things, but ultimately you are the head of that house, and ultimately you are the one who's going to give an account to God for what you've done with the resources that he has brought into your household. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so before you build that tower, make sure that you have enough to what? Pay for it. Otherwise, it's going to be this... This um, half-built building. I, and right now, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing my shed edition. Okay, 
I've got my foundation up for my shed edition. It's been there for about nine months now. I'm, I'm letting the ground settle. And uh, so I, and, um, because honestly, that, that is truthful too, yeah. But, but the other side is, you know, which I joke with Tom a lot, you know, we talk about the buildings up. When you got money, you haven't got time. When you got time, you haven't got money, okay? And so I think that my time is coming up where I might have some time and a little bit of money to go along with it and I can, I can finish my shed extension. And, uh, but that's the point. You don't want to get into something that's now what? Just sitting there. Okay? Going into debt. Borrower serving to the lender. Second of all, think twice before you co-sign. Thirdly, do the math before you do it. If you can't afford it, and if you know you cannot do it on your paycheck and yours alone, then don't go there. Because tough times are going to come. That's just a fact. They will come. And if you overextend yourself, guess what? You will find out that number one is really true. That you really are a servant to the lender. And you know what usually gives first when that happens? That number one in the priority. Then you don't give to God. And all you do is start compounding things. Because, well, i got to pay my bills. Really. Really. Then maybe you shouldn't have gotten into so many bills. You can put aside cash. Surplus, we'll talk about that so that you have enough to pay cash for something if you want it. You don't have to go into debt for it. Romans 13, 8, we did verses 1 to 7 and talk about taxation and stuff like that. Well, verse 8 culminates all that and says, Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Don't owe any man anything. Because the minute you do, you're bringing a wedge in those relationships. Well, number two is the second part there, right? Paying off the debt. Well, what does God's word say about paying off debt? Turn with me back to 2 Kings, okay? 2 Kings chapter 4. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, okay? 1 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings, sorry. I'm glad you said that because I was in 1 Kings 4. And in a moment, I was going to realize that it was not where I wanted to be. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know your servant feared Yahweh, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his, what? Slaves. Why? Because the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay? Verse 2, So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when they have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your, behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, would to God that God did this for every one of us. Okay? But he doesn't. 
this woman's husband overextended. He got himself into what? Debt. He got himself into debt. And then what happened? Rough times came. He died. Men, if you die, is your wife provided for? What's going to happen to your wife and kids when you die? Now, remember I just said earlier, I think, I believe biblically, you ought to be living on your paycheck. Okay? Not your overtime, your paycheck. Now, if that means you've got to work two jobs to make ends meet, whatever, as long as you're not seeking to live up to a standard that you don't need to be at, so be it. But, what happens when you die? Now, we have in our economy today what's called life insurance. I'm not here as a life insurance salesman. I don't sell. Okay? I'm not doing whole, whole life or, or, or term policies or whatever. But that's a minimum. That's a minimum thing that you can do for your family. Remember, family is the higher priority than the, the debt. To make sure that when you die, that you've been putting money aside, or whether you have invested in something, whether it's term life or whatever, okay, that if you died, your family is taken care of. This guy didn't do that. I understand they probably didn't have life insurance back then, okay? But the point is, he, he, he wasn't planning for the future. And it's hard. You can't always plan for that, okay? But the fact is, he had creditors. And back in those days, okay, it's unlike today, if I can't pay my debt, I, they're not going to come and take my kids and make them to be slaves, okay? But back in that day, they could. They would take my kids, and they would sell my kids as slaves, and they would take the proceeds to pay my debtors. And if I couldn't pay the rest, they'd throw me in debtor's prison so I could work it off. Okay? Well, she cries out to Elisha, who's able to do miracles, and he has compassion upon her, and he tells her what to do. Okay? And so she pours all the oil. It's a miracle, right? One little pot of oil going into many. We, we know the story. But note what he says in the end. He says, now, do what? Go pay the debt. He didn't say, just pay what you owe right now. Get the guy off your back. Get out of debt. Go pay off the debt. And then what? Live off of the rest. Do you see what he's saying? Get out of debt. Get out of debt, then live off the rest. Before we do the principle, let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. My son, if you become surety, a cosigner, for your friend, we've already said you shouldn't do that, or you're devoid of understanding, but if you do that, if you've shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you are sneered by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like the bird of the hand of the fowler. What's he saying? If you've gotten yourself into debt, if you've been a co-signer for somebody else's loan, if you're in debt to somebody else, then do what? Do whatever it takes to get out. To get out of it. Oh, going the wrong way. Try to eliminate your debt. 
If you have debt right now, I, I'm yearning to be free to my mortgage payment. I don't have a car payment. I owe Georgia Power. I owe Georgia Natural Gas. You know, but I own I owe Bank of America. And I know when I get rid of Bank of America, I'm still going to owe Columbia County and, and the state of Georgia every year because they think they own my property. They, they haven't got this. They haven't got the idea yet that God really owns it. You know, they they, they think they're kind of in, in between there. And uh, and so I've got to continually make sure that I am what I'm paying those people. You know, when insurance time comes, when for car insurance and stuff like that. You can either pay off your insurance bill or you can do it on monthly installments. If you have one of those ones that are going to charge you extra for your monthly installments, you should have a budgeting that you're putting money aside that when it comes time to pay that bill, you can pay it all, pay the whole year at one time. What? A whole year at one time? Sure. Cause then you're saving God money. Cause you're a steward of God's money, not your money. You can pay it all the time. Now for me, USAA changed their standards a couple years ago and they said, we're not going to charge extra if you want to do the monthly payments. I said, fine, that'll change my standard. I'll start paying you off a monthly stand, monthly payments because now I can keep more money for God on a monthly basis. Does that make sense? Okay. But the minute they turn around and they say to me, we're going to start charging you two extra dollars or five extra dollars a month to do that, I'm going to say, fine, I'll pay you in one, one annual check. Now, again, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I really don't do, mean to do that. I, I, I hesitate to do Paul's statement of be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Okay. But I can tell you that years ago, when I was younger in my Christian walk, that God challenged me with this stuff, okay, about honoring him with my finances. And I can tell you the freedom that there is to not be in debt. The only debt that I have is what I can excuse, and we'll talk about this in a moment, is that it's a mortgage, okay, because it's a long-term rent payment. You're going to pay somebody to live there. Unless you have family who owns a house and is willing to let you live there for free, you're going to pay somebody to live someplace. And I'd rather pay a mortgage payment than a rent payment because I know eventually I can do what? I can stop paying it. I can stop paying rent. Okay? I have to pay the government their taxation. But the reality is that even when I'm paying a rent payment, I'm paying the government their taxation. I'm just paying into the landlord first and he's gonna, he's tacking something on for me to live there. Well, why pay the, why pay the landlord money to live in the same house that I could be paying, not the same house, but you understand what I'm saying, that I could be paying less for. And so, I mean, on straight up, I pay less than $500 for my mortgage payment. Okay? Now, I don't know where you guys are, but I, all I can do is tell you from Bob's perspective of things, okay? And I'm very open. I'm very, I'll flay myself wide open so you get it, okay? If you've if you got thousands of dollars on mortgage payments, okay, you're, you're, you're shackled. You have to make that much, okay? And so the least that you owe, owe the less you have to make the more free you are to serve God. Okay? That's what 1 Corinthians 7 is all, was talking about. Okay? That's what first, or 2 Timothy 2 is talking about, about the soldier not being entangled in the affairs of the world. That you can be freed up from these things so you can serve God. That's the whole point. Well, if you're in debt, if you're in debt, then at all costs, you ought to be seeking to do everything you can to get out of debt. That ought to be your goal. Okay? Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to Yahweh or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, okay, in other words, not necessary to Yahweh, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Psalm 15. Yahweh, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? 
He who walks uprightly walks righteousness and speaks the truth in his works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised but he honors those who fear Yahweh. Sounds great, but look what gets tagged on to this list. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, he doesn't charge people interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. First, Psalm 37 says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. If you have taken out debt, if you have signed your name to something, it is your responsibility before man and before God to work righteousness and to pay back the loan. I know somebody recently who, and they're not here, so, okay, don't be trying to look around, maybe who is it in here, okay, um, who, who had a car, bought a car, and got into an accident. They're still paying it off. And they had the insurance check written to the uh, car dealer. And then they went and bought another car. What do you think they're not doing? They're not continuing to pay on the first car. Why? It's wrecked. And they sent the money to the dealer anyway. And they'll get it fixed and they'll resell it. Do you know what that's called? Human justification. Say, oh, I'd never do anything like that. Okay. Analyze how you deal with things. I shared a week or two ago about going to Home Depot and I was doing a roofing job and I was returning the material from the end of the job. And as I was returning the material, you know, there was a furring strip that's a little three quarter by, I don't know, one and one and a quarter strip or whatever, okay? Little little thing. Anyways, and and as I was returning it, the lady said to me, she says, this isn't on the receipt. And I said, I just bought it this morning. She says, but it's not on the receipt. You know, kind of this, she's not challenging me, but just kind of laying it out there. You know, it's kind of this, you know, you know, so you're returning this thing and that you didn't buy, you know, from here, you know. And, and I um, and I said, that's, that's, that's not so. I said, that means that I walked out, that they didn't charge me for this. I said, so that's yours. You know, I mean, it's not mine, it's yours. Just take it. I said, and when we're done here, I want to buy one. She says, huh? I said, she says, why don't you just keep this one then? I said, I don't need it anymore, I'm done with the job. And she's looking at me. She couldn't figure it out. I said, I've already used one. I bought two, but I didn't pay for them. I walked out with two, how's that? I wanted to buy two, but you didn't charge me for any of them. So I've already used one. It's on somebody's roof. Can't go and get it and bring it back to you. And so I want to pay for it. Does it make sense? Why? Because whether she realized it or not, I'm in debt. I used something of theirs. And it's not just my name. It's God's name that's there. And it was a whole, I don't know, less than a buck maybe <laughs> for that piece. Okay, But it was a testimony to her. Of what truth is. I have bid on jobs 
and you guys know this, and it's not, again, pat on my back, but I, I guarantee my labor unless there's something that's hidden in the job. And sometimes I bid those jobs wrong. It would be wrong for me to come back and charge somebody $1,000 more because I blew it. I had one job that when at the end of it, I made $3 an hour on it. Isn't that a killer? But I've got another job looking down at um, in another end of town that it's standing there not finished because somebody started the job and they didn't finish it. And I understand exactly probably what happened to the guy. He got himself in over it and he didn't bid it right. And so he got in the middle of the job and he just what? He fled. He walked away. And the problem is he did the job wrong, and now there's termites in the wall and, and everything, okay? And so I feel bad for the homeowner because now the homeowner is going to pay more to get the problem fixed right. Better make sure I'm making sure of my estimate on this job, okay? <laughs> Anyways. But you swear to your own what? Your own hurt. Not to the hurt of somebody else. If you make a pledge, if you put your word to it, then let your yes be yes. And you do what you've said. Your word should be binding. If you shake a hand with somebody, you ought to have, I mean, I loved it the other day when, when I saw in the, in the paper again, the, is this Chris James, is that his name, the new fire guy down in Augusta? When they were, they were uh, the, the new fire chief, fire chief. Did you see when they were swearing him in? Did you look at the picture? It was a Bible. Now, you can't tell it from mine necessarily, but his had the, 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 the marks where each of the, the book of the Bible was. And they took the picture from that angle where you could see the markers where each of the books of the Bible was. So I know it was a Bible that he had his hand on. And I thought, you know, here we are, a nation who doesn't believe in God anymore, but what do we still do when it comes to an oath? We make them swear before God. <laughs> if God doesn't exist, who cares? <laughs> you know? But it oughtn't take you putting your hand on a Bible and raising the other hand, whichever hands those things are, and saying that you swear to tell the truth, so help you God. But if you say, I will tell you the truth, I will complete the job, I will pay what I owe, then people know you can do it. Phyllis? No, you're good. Go ahead, Phyllis. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're a debt collector. Amen. To try and impress upon this man that I'm talking to that he is giving his word and it ought to mean something. Amen. You're giving your word. That's exactly right. And, and it ought to mean something. Because next time, if I say on your word and you say yes, next time, forget it. There ain't no on your word. I, your word means nothing. That's why I try to teach my kids about lying. I want them to be trustworthy, worthy of trust. When they tell me something, I want to undoubtedly believe it. Even if. Everything else, circumstances look wrong. It doesn't make sense. I'll believe you. And there are times, Andrew, right? And I'll say to you, I honestly, from my flesh, don't think you're telling me the truth, but I'm going to accept it. But you need to know what? God knows. 
God knows. And it's your name. It's your name, ultimately, before me. That's going to, and one, you know, the truth's going to come out at some point, potentially. And, and if it comes out that you're not telling me the truth, your name is mud. Your name is mud. And we don't want that. Why? Because of this first, this last point here, 1 Peter 2. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2. Because ultimately, it's not all about Bob. It's not all about you. It's all about who? God. First Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Do you ever want to know what God's will is? This is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. God's grace in your life, the liberty that he's given you, wasn't so that you can splurge on you, or Bob could splurge on Bob. Rather, Galatians chapter 5 says that God has given me liberty that I can serve other people. I can take the resources which God has given me, and I can use them as a steward to serve others, not me, with the end result that others, even those who are in the world, those who are unbelievers will look at me, and they will see the good works and pat Bob on the back. No, but as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that they will observe your good works and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. And one day, we're told that they will observe your good works and they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Ultimately, we have to remember our ultimate purpose, and that ultimate purpose is to glorify God. And how I handle debt and how I pay off my debt reflects on Jesus Christ. Think about it. How many people did Jesus owe when he was on the earth? Not a soul. He said, he says, um, to the guys who said, you know, Master, I'll follow you. And he says, listen, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay down his head. Foxes have dens, but I don't have any place to lay down my head. He made sure that he was free from bondage to anybody. Now, I understand that we're not going to live in the, in the box under the Fifth Street Bridge. okay? And I understand there's some minor debt that we're going to incur. But ask the question, are you living that life? Are you living one who is seeking to be debt-free for the glory of God? So that you can use surplus, we're going to talk about next week, you can use all that extra surplus for the kingdom of God, for his glory. Isn't it a shame... Isn't it a shame that we got missionaries who are begging for money when we've got people who are spending twenties of thousands of dollars on boats? We've got millionaires who can take just one portion and fund a missionary for the rest of his life on a field. And we've got missionaries coming home from the field because they can't afford to live there anymore. Because people aren't giving them the cash to live over there. They can't work over there. 
they're forced to, to rely upon us. And yet we want God to be glorified and we want to see souls saved. We're just not willing to do what? Pay for it. We're not willing to put our money where our mouth is because our money's where our heart is and our heart's with me and not with him. So, what's your debt situation? Not what's your debt ceiling. We won't go there. What's your debt situation? Are you a man or a woman of your word? If you say it, if you speak it, will it be true? I try to do it with the kids. I try not to give my word on what we're going to do this afternoon or tomorrow afternoon or whatever, because I don't know. I'll let you know. Ask me when the time comes. We'll talk about it. Is God being glorified in your stewardship of the financial resources that he's entrusted to you? It's been given to you as a trust. And you will give an account for that later on. What adjustments to your budget do you need to make? If you've been convicted by any of this that we've been talking about these last couple weeks, then again, it's like when we talk about with Nehemiah. Nehemiah came and he gave the vision to the people. They heard the vision. They were excited about the vision. But then you know what they did? They put their shoulder to the task. They got involved in it. You can hear all this stuff, and it may sound good to you. You may be convicted about it, but if you don't do anything to change, then it hasn't meant a thing to you. Is there a need for change in the way you think, a need for repentance? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the abundance that you have given to each one of us, Lord. We are, we are not in need. Lord, I know that we've gone through hard times, probably each one of us. There may be some who are struggling right now. But God, I pray that you would help us to have wisdom that comes from you, that we would not be uh, servants to lenders, that when hard times come, Lord, we would be able to, 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 to balance through them, Lord, that we would have your wisdom in preparing for the future as well. But Lord, that we would not seek to hoard, nor to to set aside for ourselves, selfishly, but that we would see ourselves truly as stewards of the Most High God who has entrusted to us the resources of this world in order that we might win souls for eternal glory. I pray, Lord, for those who need help budgeting, that they would either seek out that help, they would seek your face, and that they would begin to work on it. For those, Lord, who don't give to you, whether it's to this local assembly or whether it's to the mission field or to whatever work you have, Lord, that they would be convicted and that they would begin to give to you, Lord, what you require and desire for them and from them. Be magnified, Lord, in our lives. Help us to be truly like the cities that are set upon a hill whose lights cannot be hid. Help our salt to be salty and not good for nothing, rather than be thrown under the floor, the grounds and trampled on, that we may honor you, In Jesus' name, amen.